Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accrue. This is the place where Anna and I talk about how we are growing as individuals and how we're building a firm in a way that is healthy and sustainable. There is always more to learn and we want to share what we have learned and what we're still learning. Today, we're going to be talking about the need to touch everything and how to redirect that energy in a way that's a little bit more helpful and productive, particularly as we're approaching busy season and in it and kind of in the thick of things. How can we make it so that we are less essential in the day-to-day and more empowering to the people that we work with? So uh, let's dive right in. I think to start the need to to have your hands on everything or your eyes on everything is a learned behavior. And so to validate this feeling, I will say that there are circumstances where you have likely had an experience with one or many people where you thought that you could trust them, you thought that you were saying the same thing and realized afterwards that your understanding and their understanding was not quite on the same page or that you thought that they could do something that they ended up not being able to do. And so there's some real data points here that lead to this, but it is a learned behavior to continue operating in that way. And I think the the key here is one, it is completely unsustainable. And so if it's unsustainable, the only thing that you can do is make a shift. And the only way to make that shift is to do it yourself. You can't expect anyone to make that change for you. Hiring the right person at the right time in the right seat is never going to be the solution to the problem entirely. It may help, but it will still require you to wrestle with your own feelings. So Anna, I would love to hear from you. I know that this is something that a lot of accountants and a lot of business owners in general feel when they are running a company and especially in the beginning stages when you're bringing people on and then those needs increase. But why do we feel like we need to have our hands on everything or our eyes on everything? I don't feel that way. I'm great at this. That's a terrible joke. I am the worst at this. (laughs) I talk to a lot of other firm owners and for myself in particular, I think that technician turned entrepreneur journey means you did touch everything until you brought on other people to help. And so touching everything is in part just a habit from being the technician who does everything. And if you're a solopreneur and that's where you stop, then keep doing it. And this podcast is not for you because there's, <laughs> you should keep touching everything. Probably there might be things that you, you know, outsource and use a vendor for. And so there may be things in this that could still apply to you, but th- this really will be more focused on as you're building out a team, how you do that in a way that does equip and empower versus the way that means you keep this habit of touching everything really matters. And and in the early days for me, I touched everything for a couple of primary reasons. I think one, I didn't have a structure for equipping the team other than just sort of real-time feedback as it happened to come up. If I had the space to even give the feedback (laughs) and usually I had the space to just fix it and be like, I fixed it. Don't worry about it. You can keep going, which does not help anyone and keeps me totally essential. And then if I follow that thread and go, well, why did I do it that way? I think some of it might just have been, you know, because it was easier. Some of it might have been because it feels good to be the wizard who knows how to fix that thing. And if you're not thinking about equipping and empowering others so that you become less essential, you just 
have that ego stroke of someone being like, wow, you fixed it. Wow, you're so good at stuff. And you're like, I mean, I not to brag, but I am. <laughs> and and I think you also have some anxiety as, as you're growing when you stop being the one that's doing that is it going to still be done the way that you would do it? Is it still mm -hmm. going to be done the at the standards you have, at the quality that you have? If you're not touching it, how do you know that it's still being done well if you haven't built any other structure or process or systems in order to validate that it's still done well? And so you tend to just want to touch everything to ease that anxiety that it's still being done the way that you would do it. Because I think for most of us, if we are those technicians turned entrepreneurs, we have a lot of pride and excellence in the technical work. There's usually a lot of technical aptitude that would lead someone to do that. There's got to be a certain amount of like, I mean, I think I could do all this better, which is why I'm going to go out on my own. So it's usually not people who have no desire towards excellence in technical work or no desire towards excellence in how we talk to clients or, you know, like you probably went out on your own because you felt like you could do this really well and that you would be better off building your own thing because then you could create the opportunity to be able to do it awesomely. Um, if not, why would you do all this extra work to start your own firm if you didn't think you could do it better? So Assuming that that is the case, there there is a certain amount of, are you going to do it like I do it? Because I probably kind of think I do it right or mm -hmm. well Best or whatever. Or, yeah. yeah. So I, I think, you know, it is, you enjoy being the hero of the story. I enjoyed mm -hmm. being the hero of the story. I felt anxious to make sure that it was being done well, that everything was being handled usually because I didn't create systems and process to make sure that that was happening. So then I was the process to make sure that that was happening. In absence of a process, I just threw a person at it. And the only person I could throw at that was me. Yeah. And then, and, and then that was an indicator, you know, the team wasn't effectively equipped because there was no structure for equipping them. It was just, if you mm -hmm. happen to be in the room, when I happen to share this thing, then you would know that but no one else would who wasn't there, you know, no one else would get that learning. And so I think those are the primary things, but in your operation seat, what are the things you need to touch and, and why, like, does, is that different reasons for you about what you might all want to touch? I think, yeah, there's, there's one additional, I think a lot of that resonates, but there's one additional that I felt in recent months. And I think it's a desire to understand things because if I'm going to have to build something, I want to still understand it. Even if I didn't, if, even if I wasn't part of that particular piece. So feeling like I don't know what I will need to know down the road because I didn't take the time to understand how it started or how it needed to get set up or how it worked initially. I think that is one of those things that I've really wrestled with in the last few months is I want to be a little bit more involved in some of these projects, but I shouldn't because they're not a good use of my time, but it's really hard for me to go, okay, if I don't totally understand how this works, can I really do what I'm going to need to do 10 steps down the road? Am I really going to be able to like advise this team about how to structure something or how to, how to build it? And, and I think that anxiety is real, but also I think it's also a function of bringing in and 
bringing in really smart, really talented people, taking the time to not just validate them, but also equip them to, to have the tools to not just do those technical tasks, but also to ask the right kinds of questions, to verify their understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. So I spent a lot of time working with the individuals that I primarily work with in the operations role, making sure that they had the skills that I needed them to have so that when I don't know everything, we're still on the same page. We're still talking about the same thing. And I know as much as I need to know that is really hard. It is really hard not to have all the nitty gritty details, but it is better. I mean, payroll is a great example. We've in the last few months simplified our payroll a lot and it has felt really awkward to be like, yeah, like I didn't build that. So I, my understanding is it's not limited so much that it affects anything, but it's limited in that I didn't do it. So I have to, when I look at the validation QA spreadsheet, I have to figure it out for a second. Like it just takes me a little bit more time to, to make sure. And that's uncomfortable because it feels like I don't have control and I should. Yes. It's control. I think yeah. this comes down to control is we, if we touch everything, then we have control. Mm. And if we don't touch everything, then if something goes wrong that I could have prevented, now I feel like it's my fault and responsibility yeah. because Ooh. I could have touched it and then it wouldn't have gone wrong. Mm. And there's some ego there for sure. Yeah, because I would have touched it the best. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so stupid because that's not even true in so many no. areas. But I think no. payroll, uh, like our hiring process, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that we've built in recent memory that I've been mm -hmm. fairly uninvolved with, which yeah. feels awesome. I would not have been years earlier. I would have been intimately involved because we didn't have the right people in the right seats to ensure that that was moving forward in a way that I didn't need to be involved. But then the, there's a flip side of that, of when you are intimately involved in these things, that takes up so much brain space to know the inner workings of so many different dynamics mm -hmm. that at some point you just don't have the room anymore. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that. I don't know that. Not because I want to just, you know, go, yeah, you guys do it. You're doing great. <laughs> but because you guys will actually do it great because the right people with the right skill sets and the right understanding of what they should make decisions about and what they should get input about, like a really yes. nuanced approach to that work are doing it. And we have validation in place so that if something does get pushed up to me, it is something I need to be involved in. And mm -hmm. the other things aren't. Yeah. I think actually marketing is another really good example. Oh yeah. This. Totally. I was, I was thinking about that too. I don't actually look at our marketing stuff anymore. No, which is really incredible because we have had like a, a, our marketing has really evolved over the years. And initially it was entirely you as the accrue voice. And we are at the point now where we have a team of individuals who are so good at it that it doesn't require you. And that took development. It really right. took time, it took development, it took process, and it took those people gaining those skills. But without the goal in mind of, I want to be unessential in this thing that I probably shouldn't be in, you can't get there. So even wanting to be unessential is like kind of the starting point. 
I think it's that and that the accrue voice became its own voice and not my voice. Yes. That was the other big shift that needed to happen because at the beginning, coming right back to control, well, Mm -hmm. accrue should sound like how I think it should sound. And it evolved into a crew is bigger than me. It's mm-hmm. not just my company. It's something we all are contributing to and with our values and with our mission and with an understanding of all of these things, it has a more nuance. It is not my voice anymore. It, you know, it sounds like me, but it doesn't sound exactly like me. It sounds like its own thing, which took a lot of involvement from a lot of people contributing mm-hmm. to it. But it was also the demonstration of competence Mm -hmm. that allowed that to to shift we've had people contribute to it that could kind of sort of get it and then we always need to touch it Mm -hmm. versus moving to having some team members that really get it and do it better than we would that Mm -hmm it's almost more like we're in the way if we're touching it. I think that's a really good goal for like the people doing it and the process for doing it being such that if you're still touching it, you're actually hindering it rather than helping it. I think it's Mm -hmm. probably a good aim to know this is where I need to stop touching this. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've hit on a couple of these things, but keeping yourself essential is such a, a, problematic way to approach business. It just means that you won't be able to scale and grow the way that you maybe imagine. And if that's not your goal, that's, you know, fine. If you want to touch everything and that's like how you want to run your business, like I get that. But I think on the reverse, what it communicates to anyone that you employ is that they are not empowered to do their jobs effectively without you needing to make sure that it was done your way. And so there's some almost uh, infantilizing of your of your team, of your employees. If you always have to touch or fix something or you want to get your eyes on it to verify that it's your way or that it's it's up to your standards, it communicates very inadvertently or, or maybe advertently, but subtly to your team over and over again that you just don't trust them. And mm-hmm. you might not but that's not a great place to stay. <laughs> if if right. you're why would I want to work somewhere where they don't trust me to do a good job? Yeah. And I think being able to to just call attention to that and say like I want to trust you with this, but here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I fix every time. So, here's where I want to be able to like see you progress so that I don't have to do this anymore. Like that should be the conversation, but it's really hard to do when it feels very rigid and you're not willing to share and equip other people to be able to do that independently. And so, I think for you in particular that acknowledgement that it is too much for any one individual to actually sustain and that something needed to change and that that something needed to start with you was exactly right. And I think it's led to you being, your team being incredibly empowered and incredibly like 
awesome. Like we, our team is so good at what they do because we expect them to be and we equip them to be. And then it takes you out of so much of that essential. And I think you're, you and even the last year have done a really good job of sharing the vision of that independence with the team so that everyone is aligned with how can we make the CEO and the COO less essential in the day to day so that they can focus on that on what they are best at that no one else in the company can do. And and that shared vision has really translated into some like felt support from the team. I think you've had several people who have just been incredibly gracious and kind and thoughtful in just reaching out and just asking if what you're saying yes to is reasonable. And I think it's such a such a testament to your ability to cast that vision and and cast it clearly with the intention of everyone benefiting. It's not just for you. It's for you and it's for the team. Like the team is better off if you if they need you less and you're better off if the team needs you less. So it's win-win. And and I think that approach is really helpful when you're talking about empowering a team. Yes. Well, first of all, thanks, man. That's nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was hugely impactful this year. Like just just saying yes. it out loud was was unbelievably impactful and watching it shift. Well, and I would say even if you're not looking to scale up, even if you're mm -hmm. not looking to grow this huge firm and become, you know, in the whatever echelon you could imagine, even if you want to stay, you know, a lifestyle business or a boutique firm or, or, you know, something that you can kind of effectively manage, you will still do that better by not mm -hmm. needing to touch everything because you will have better equipped and empowered team members that are more independent, not only for their own work, but they're more and better equipped so that they can equip the next person because no one's going to stay forever. And when someone leaves and you need to bring someone else on, first of all, like, how do you even hire another person? Well, we've got people to do that, which is awesome. So, <laughs> you know, in the past that would have been, oh my gosh, this is an emergency and I need to go fix it. Whereas that is no longer the case. That responsibility is distributed. But also once that team member comes on board, if you have to touch everything, you're the one who trains and equips everyone. You're the one that touches all the technical work before it goes out to clients. Like you're the, that is so many responsibilities to stay with you. At some point, you're just going to get burnt out. Yeah. At some point, it's not good for you, but it's also really not good for your team because if you do not have growth paths where people are empowered to continue growing, they won't stay. And so Absolutely. you will have more of that turnover if you are engaging in these behaviors that do infantilize your team. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember being at a conference and talking to another firm owner about, I think it was something around like owning mistakes or like clients reaching out and being upset and talking about how they will be the one to respond to the clients because they want to protect that team member or they are, mm. you know, the assumption maybe I wasn't clear enough and it's not their fault. And, and I just push back to say, you're robbing them of the opportunity to learn and grow from yes. that mistake by owning it for them. You're mama bearing them, mm. which means they're a child who can't take responsibility for their own actions. If mm -hmm. you weren't clear, they could have asked questions. If they made a mistake and they learn how to own it, they will be more effective 
as a team member, as a as the person doing that client's books, they will learn from that mistake way more if they have to own it than if you own it for them. Now it's not their mistake anymore. It's yours. Mm-hmm. So you've just robbed them of so much opportunity to learn and grow by you assuming all that responsibility for them. Yeah. I think that's such a good example of like, I don't want to be a, I don't want to have to respond to every client that's upset. All I will do is respond to upset clients. That'll be my only client interaction. Yes. This sounds like a real bummer. I will probably start resenting clients if the only time that I talk to them is when I'm swooping in because there's a problem. So and I will say, like from a like from a control standpoint, like we do want control over when clients are upset. Like we do want visibility into that before anything moves forward. But you got to create process for it. Otherwise, you are the process. The body right. is the process. And the warm warm body in the seat is the process. And it right. just happens to be the CEO because you must. And, and if you are able to create systems where your team gets the support they need to do that effectively, they will gain the skills to do that effectively. And they will present as the expert and and the person owning it or fixing it with the client in a way that keeps you out of that role and allows you to support, allows you visibility, allows you like the clarity that we are handling this well without you having to be the hero. And and that requires you not wanting to be the hero all the time. And and I think that what we tend to do as humans is we tend to want to be the hero until we don't, and we then we want to flip the table. But yep. if we wait until we want to flip the table, we're going to do that really poorly. And so pausing before anything is wrong and going, okay, when, not if, when something goes wrong with this client or with any client, how do I want my team to respond? How do I how do I want them to come to me? How do I want to show up for them in a way that helps them feel okay? <laughs> like because that matters. Like the anxiety is unhelpful in that situation. Being able to kind of level set and 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 get your anxiety reduced and say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna move forward. And you're going to do this, but I'm here for you is just one of the, I I think one of the best ways that you can actually equip people. And it's hard to do. It takes time, effort, and energy. But if you're doing less of the actual doing, you have the time and the effort and the energy to give to the support. And that I think is the shift that's, again, really challenging to make, but it is the key to becoming less essential. Yes. And, And if that is your aim, your focus being on supporting and equipping the people that are going to replace you and needing to touch things, it will be more to start. Mm-hmm. That will be more effort and intention at the beginning than just doing what you're doing. But mm-hmm. this is a great example of what got you here won't get you there. If mm-hmm. you want to be in the moving in the direction of being less essential, of of not just being the person that has all the problems. Mm. You know, that is one of the things that that really sucks at times about being in this particular seat is there are times where it feels like all I do is put out fires. And I have heard that from from clients as well. You Mm -hmm. know, business owners feel like all I do is put out fires. This is fire prevention. This is 
And this is training and equipping other firefighters. Mm -hmm. So it is both. You will stop being the singular firefighter and you and your team will start doing fire prevention and fire putting out training so that you're not, I'm sure there's a better word for that. Definitely. (laughs) Very experienced in this particular field. (laughs) It's, But you will stop being the only one who needs to solve all of these problems. Mm -hmm. It's so helpful. And, and, And actually, I was talking to a client recently about that and about him bringing someone else on in a leadership role because he is just tired of Mm. being the only one with the decision responsibility. And I was like, I totally empathize with that. And I talked about when I brought you on board because yeah, I had people who could help with things. I needed someone who could help decide things. Yes. Who could help take some of the responsibility of leadership, not Mm -hmm. just, you know, Hey, can you do these tasks that I assigned to you? And Part of, so actually, I think a really good segue into like how you would actually do this is talking about what we did and then yeah. also talking about all the ways we did it poorly. But mm-hmm. but some of the things we did <laughs> <Always>. was. <laughs> let's unearth those racks. <laughs> yeah, let's just expose all of our shame. <laughs> Isn't that what this podcast is about? <laughs> I think so. It's basically just therapy. Uh, hope you guys enjoy listening to our therapy with one another. <laughs> But when when you started, it, it was very much this conversation of, I need help. I, I need to stop basically being the one that touches everything to know that it got done. Mm-hmm. I actually think that this, that was a primary pain point of, I know we don't have the process we need to keep me from feeling the anxiety where I need to touch everything to mm-hmm. ensure that it was actually done. And I know that I don't have the right skill set to build the process or at least to build it alone. Mm-hmm. I, as an obliger, I at least need someone else that's going to be in this with me or I will intend to do it and never do it. Mm-hmm. But best intent, no execution. So that was the start of our conversations of like, this is really where I need support so that I don't have to touch everything. But I will say on the other side of that, like knowing that you needed help in that way, it would have been really easy for you to just chuck that over the fence and just go, okay, that's your skill set. That's your wheelhouse. Cool. You do it. It's on you now. It would have inevitably meant a good cop, bad cop dynamic. And it would have been detrimental to my ability to lead the team if I was always the bad cop because I put, you know, structure in place that held people accountable. If I was the one creating systems and processes that gave you the clarity that you needed to know things were being done well, I would have absolutely been the bad cop and you would have always been the good cop. And it would have been impossible for us to work together. But because we were both keenly aware of that potential, we were really conscientious of doing things together when it was hard and when it was good, making sure that we both had opportunities to give hard feedback and positive feedback to the team and making sure it was balanced across both sides of that spectrum, no matter what it was. And so I'm, I'm also really grateful that we, that you and I both, but, but that you were conscientious of that and like, were able to think about how it would impact the perception of the team, because that matters. It really does. It's not, you can't go 
okay, now we've got someone who can do this, so problem solved. That does not ever happen. Chucking something over the fence and and wanting no questions, no imp- like I, I want to be unessential now, today. That's not real. It's never right. Be you real. just handle it. Just handle yeah. it. I mean, yeah. I did that a little bit with like, I don't know, day one or whatever. Everyone, Jill's your boss now. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoy working together. <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> yeah. But but you there were a lot of times where you gave me some feedback about, hey, that the way that this is going down, the way that this conversation is happening, some of this, you know, thread in Slack, whatever it is, is kind of positioning us as you're the good cop and I'm the bad cop. And so it was both having the awareness, sometimes getting that direct feedback because mm. I have blind spots. I, I'm not always going to be, well, and if you're used to swooping in as the hero, mm-hmm. it's really easy to want to keep sitting in that seat. Mm-hmm. So if you're not both aware of that, but also getting input on when you might be doing it and not aware of it, mm-hmm. when you might be chucking stuff over the fence and not aware that you could potentially be throwing that person under the bus mm-hmm. for not being good at it or or for not doing it like you would, but you didn't actually empower and equip them. You mm-hmm. just delegated and then abdicated and yes. went, it's their fault and problem now, 100%. And if they do it bad, I'm going to throw them under the bus. Mm-hmm. So not that. And I was super grateful for for that input because I had not, before you started, I had not effectively equipped another leader. Mm. I had really tried to train team members to do technical work. Like that was, that was the extent of that. And I had not managed people before a crew. I had always been an employee somewhere and, mm. and not, not even a team lead. I really now looking back, I was not equipped for any of this, but it was much, a lot of on the job training. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like being put through the gauntlet of being a business owner. <laughs> yeah. Just constant imposter syndrome. And then you sell. At and then just point. figure it out. <laughs> And until you sell the firm or die, you just yeah. feel that imposter <laughs> syndrome constantly. But it was super helpful even just to be thinking about it in those terms to go, okay, is the way that we're working together going to support you in what I have asked of you, what I mm-hmm. expect of you? Am I empowering you? Am I supporting you? Am I being loyal to you when you're not there? I think that's also a huge one of if you chuck stuff over the fence as the means of delegation, uh, as your means of not touching anything. Hey, now, now Jill's everyone's boss. So if you have any problems, go to Jill. Mm -hmm. And then if someone has a problem and comes to me and, and I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, like Jill's not doing a good job. So yeah, for sure. That's why you're coming to me. That would so undermine everything Mm -hmm. we're trying to do with putting you into that role. Yeah. So all of that was, you know, I mean, thank you. I'll, I'll take the like, yeah, I did it or whatever, but like, it really was such a collaboration of how is what you're doing? How is what I'm doing? impacting one another, impacting Mm -hmm. how we work and how that affects the team. And that is such a, it's such a problem in so many companies, in so many firms, when people who are in leadership 
are not aligned. They're not supportive of one another. They're not loyal to each other when they're not there. It just causes so much dysfunction. And so it, any ability to stop touching everything because you have equipped and empowered someone is immediately diminished when you engage in, in those kinds of behaviors, when you throw them under the bus, when you don't support them, when you don't equip them, when you don't give them feedback. If something mm -hmm. isn't right, they do need feedback. They're not going to be perfect. Guess what? You're not either. Mm -hmm. But we tend to give ourselves a lot more grace that when I mess up, it was just this one time. It was just because I was tired. It was just this whatever. And then when someone else messes up, we're like, are they not good at their job? What are they <laughs> even doing? Yeah. And, and I think there's also risk on the other side of that too. Like if, if I had not given you that direct feedback and had the conversation with you, it would have been easy for me to go, oh, Anna's always the good guy. And then to inadvertently make you look bad in front of the team and private meetings or we both were very clearly on the same page of what we're doing here. You're the CEO of the company. At that time I was the operations manager. That was the dynamic that we were looking for. And we were looking for both of us to be well-equipped leaders at the company in our right places. And that is not, I, I've seen some firms where, you know, someone gets put into a seat like mine and really makes the owner look bad, wants the owner to kind of step aside because I feel like I could do it better. It's that um, I could do this better idea, but I'm not going to leave and do it better. I'm going to do it better at your company. Oof, no thank you to that. You have to trust the other person is for you. You have to trust that that other person is aligned with your vision for the dynamic that you're looking to set up. And I think that was really essential in the way that we started in particular. It, it set the stage for us to be so effective as a leadership team. But I think on the flip side of that, I also didn't coddle you mostly because no. I just didn't have time. Um, <laughs> no, but, but also because I knew that that wouldn't build independence. I, I had seen in the way that I initially introduced some of our account managers to clients as someone who's helping me with your books. Yeah. Which is the worst positioning if you ever empowering. want to talk like if you ever want the client to go to them instead of you, you cannot introduce them as someone who's helping me mm -mm. with your books. That's how not to do it. And I had watched no, like no behavior change because that is how I positioned it. I mm -hmm. positioned them as an admin at best, which is pretty uncool to them in, in retrospect. Mm -hmm. sorry, sorry about that. Anybody who <laughs> experienced it still, still learning. This is the things we're sharing. But in, in watching that experience of how I had positioned people and then what the end result of the behavior was, both on, on that person's side and then also on our client's side. Okay, if I've positioned you as you're helping, like then you're not going to take ownership of this. You're going to just tell me if there's a problem because you're just helping. Mm -hmm. And on the client side, if they're just helping, like they're still going to come to me. Like they're just helping. Like maybe they really need something. Them. I'm going to reach out to Anna. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or even like, hey, there's a problem. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm not going to reach out to the person who's just helping. They're not going to be able to actually solve any meaningful problems. So I think that experience was helpful in thinking about how I positioned you to the team and collaborating with you at times where I'm like, okay, if I do this or say this, 
does that undermine what I've done to this point? Mm. If if we both show up in this meeting and I'm very kind and caring about the person that we're giving direct feedback to, and you're like, but this is the direct feedback, <laughs> there is some of that good cop, bad cop energy. Mm -hmm. And so like we can't show up in that way mm -mm. or it makes us seem like- Misaligned. Yeah. It, we're and, on different teams. Yeah. Yes. We're, yeah. we're on different teams. And then if, if I'm the good cop and you're the bad cop, who are people going to go to with their problems? This doesn't make me not essential. That mm -hmm. actually makes it me even more you. essential, totally. but in a very expensive way, because now I'm paying both of us for me to still be essential. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. But you can't really see that until you're in it. Like it's really hard to conceptualize the effect of some of these decisions because it sounds like if I hire someone really smart and really equipped and they've done this job before and, you know, and, and I can, I feel like I can just chuck the responsibility over the fence and just never get a question again, then it really does indicate that like, well, it's every man for yourself at that point. Like it is, it, it communicates not just to that person, but to everyone at the company that we are all on our own. We're all on different teams. And yes, we like pretend like we're on the same team, but if I expect other people to handle things I don't want to, and to just kind of do the thing and leave me out of it so that I don't have to be involved, it really communicates that we are not on the same team and, and that you're going to have to kind of figure it out for yourself. And everyone here is just a, the lone wolf or whatever. And at a remote company, it's already easy to feel like that. It's it's already easy to feel alone in your workspace and, and in the way that you work. And so we, we had to be really intentional about how we approached a lot of that stuff. And it really, I will say, it took a lot of time meeting you and I to get on the same page before we had to have a conversation. We would we would do a lot of prep meetings to make sure we were aligned about what we really needed to say and what we weren't going to say and, and how we were going to do that dynamic because it's too important to mess up. And, and I think we both cared enough about how it went, not just what happened, but how it happened, that we were able to make the time for that. At this point, we don't need to do that anymore because there's just so many reps, so much trust built that I know that you trust that when I handle something, I can let you know if you need to know. And if you don't need to know, it will be handled well anyway. And, and that will be great for you to not have to be in the loop or be a decision maker. But you also know that because I'll bring you in when I need your input. I will ask for help and you will say yes. That's the other side of this is if, if the answer for feedback or input or, or support is like, yeah, but I hired you, <laughs> you're supposed to solve this. It, it, it really puts that person in a position where they are now solely responsible for not just doing an excellent job, but doing it the way you would want to and kind of reading your mind about that. Right. And without then, ever getting any input from you or yeah, without you having to say anything. Unreasonable. Totally unreasonable. It's so kind of unkind because then if they do it yeah. wrong, it's like, why didn't you read my mind better? 
Yeah. And I, I have worked with business owners who, who think like this and, and can't quite conceptualize the receiving end of it and the effect overall to the company and the effect overall to the company is you're trustworthy until you're not. You're, you know, like there's, there's a lot of layers to that stuff. And then when you're not, you're dead to me. Yes. It's like a yes. very weird kind of switch that gets flipped. It's like either they're amazing, they're handling everything, it's awesome, they're the best, or they demonstrate in some way that they're not handling everything. And then it's like, oh my gosh, they're the worst and they're dead to me until they end up quitting or not quitting, but not working there anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, it usually goes pretty poorly. And it's, you're right. It's so unkind because what are we actually trying to accomplish here? If we're really trying to get leadership out of the essential day-to-day -day and equip people to do an excellent job of filling those needs of the team, then we have to be willing to put in the effort to equip them. It, it can't be done without that equipping. Otherwise you will, you know, you will be the hot and cold leader who just it's fine when nothing's broken, but as soon as it's broken, all trust is withdrawn. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's, un, it's dysfunctional. It is super dysfunctional. And I've seen it in so many different organizations where the person is amazing while they're, while the assumption is that they're handling everything that was tossed over the fence at them because there's actually no validation that they're handling it all. And then no. some kind of fire comes up, some kind of problem brings to light that maybe they weren't handling everything like you thought, or they weren't handling everything, or they just didn't understand even what they were responsible for handling. And then it's like, oh my gosh, now we have to go validate everything because mm -hmm. I don't know that anything was being done. Like that is too, back and forth, hot and cold, like swinging that pendulum super mm -hmm. far in both directions. And it's, it's too like unsettling for that team member. Like, I don't yeah. want to be praised for doing a great job. And then tomorrow, like berated for how I'm not doing anything right. Like that, how is someone supposed to know they're doing a good job when there's no metrics, there's no clear direction about whether or not they're doing a good job. Or more often, because metrics are like, that is a whole thing to create. But like, if I don't trust that you will just tell me what I need to know when I need to know it, that's going to be hard. Because it's not just that knee jerk. It's also the in-between of like, I need to know that if you're seeing something or feeling something, that you're actually going to have the conversation with me so that we can get back on the same page or so that you can give me the feedback about what you want to see different. Metrics are absolutely helpful, but they're hard to take time to build and create the systems for. What is a metric is open dialogue with that person right. and the trust that that person can handle the feedback because they believe that you're for them, not against them. Mm -hmm. But that yeah. also means that you have to be giving that feedback. So I think that's mm -hmm. a great segue into what, what genuine sustainable development looks like. Because mm -hmm. chucking stuff over the fence, de delegating through abdicating is not actually going to get you out of being essential for touching everything. You will get out of it for a little while and then you'll have to touch everything even more 
because mm -hmm. you weren't touching it and now it's just gone wherever it's gone and you have yeah. no visibility and then now you're going to want to touch everything twice you know <laughs> and then the, the flip side of that of you know over supporting over almost like coddling your your yes. team that doesn't function either because you'll still need to touch everything if you haven't yeah. built independence you know fostered independence and fostered interdependence mm -hmm. where there are other team members equipped to touch things you would have touched even for the other team. You know, I think our lead bookkeepers are a great example of this. The kinds of technical questions I would have been asked in the past as the, you know, senior technical expert, we have other people who are equipped to be able to answer them. So I'm mm -hmm. only answering the questions of the most equipped people who didn't know the answer to just that question. And they're coming to me and I'm, you know, we're going to collaborate about it. Usually they're right. And they didn't even need to ask. They're just like, sounds good. Right? Like the thing I was suggesting, I'm like, yeah, it sounds better than what I would have said. And then they're going back as that approachable expert and still equipping the team. So I'm not essential in any of those ways because we've created a structure for that because I didn't like tell them they were the expert. And then anytime they didn't know a question, I swooped in directly to go answer that question for them. But so they also wouldn't feel bad about it. You provided the support that gave them the resources so that when they don't know something, because it's when, not if, when they don't know something, they have a resource to go to that is a technical expert that isn't the hero. They still get to be the hero, but they also get the opportunity to learn. Yeah. That is essential. And specific times when we do that and specific mm -hmm. places when we do that and, and having that be set up in a way that's sustainable for me so that I don't get tempted to go in and touch everything mm -hmm. because I know that there are times and places where I'm going to provide that support. And it's not just all the time, every day, every moment. And that I know and trust not only because, you know, we've given this direction, but because it's been demonstrated over and over and over again, which is how trust is built, that when they don't know something, they will ask. So mm -hmm. I don't have to go reading every Slack message of every question they're ever asked to make sure that they were giving clear direction. Mm -hmm. Because I know that they know they can ask when they have a question and that they know when they should ask when they have a question and that they do ask when they have a question. Yes. All of those things. That isn't something that happened on day one. And it's not something that everyone has always gotten. And so it is still going to be some amount dependent on the individuals being on board with this kind of development, with being equipped. If you have a team of people who enjoy being supported and dependent, this is a very hard shift. And I, I think when we started making some of these shifts, both the things I needed to work on in myself, but also the learned behaviors mm -hmm. that I had inadvertently encouraged by the way that I was behaving, not everyone was on board with making that shift. Yeah. There were some tough. learned there was some real learned helplessness that it was easier for someone else to fix it. And the idea of becoming more equipped and more independent wasn't 
what they were looking for. And it's totally understandable because that's how you have operated is how people expect you to continue operating and people do not enjoy change. And so when something changes, particularly expectations and independence, like when you're making that shift, it is going to be incredibly clear who wants to be equipped and who doesn't. And there's no value judgment there. It's just, if that's the direction we're going, we're not going to get there together if you don't want to be more equipped than you are today. If you don't want to be more independent, it's not going to work because that's the direction we're going. So I think the first step I would say, if you are in a firm and you are wrestling with some of this like dependence on you or you being essential in the day-to-day or this feeling that you must see everything and touch everything before anything happens that could break. I think the number one thing that you start with is stopping, asking yourself what you do want this to look like, not just what you don't want, but what you do want it to look like, because that specificity is essential in getting to where you want to go. And then asking yourself, how, how can I actually communicate this vision with the team in a way that they understand and everyone who's on board with that vision can align with. And so you did a good job of of talking about how you participated in creating the culture. Like you were part of holding people's progress back because it was easier mm-hmm. and simpler to fix things. And because I enjoyed being a wizard. I yeah. enjoyed being the smartest person in the room. And I yeah. think if you don't also acknowledge why some of the behaviors that you, you know, that tendency towards touching everything, it's not just because you want to make sure it's done well. Yes. Why do you want to make sure it's done well? So you look good. So clients like you, so you look competent, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things, like there is a lot to it. So you feel good about it. So you get your ego stroked for being the smartest person in the room who knows how to do all those cool technical stuff, who knows mm-hmm. the keyboard shortcut for the whatever. I don't know. Just, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, you just fix it like this and this. It's like no big deal. <laughs> there, There's a lot of ego that goes along with that, that if you don't acknowledge the those parts of of your compulsion towards Mm. touching everything if you Mm -hmm. don't address some of those things and you just go hey everyone i want to be less essential i want you to be empowered let's go it's like (laughs) are you going to immediately sabotage that with how you behave even though you've said the words yo that's real yeah. So I think I think to that point, it, it requires some vulnerability. It requires some here's what I can own and here's what I'm going to shift. Here's what I need from you. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think we did a, a decent job of kind of making that shift at several points in the last you know four years or so. But I, I, I'm curious, what are some of the other ways that you can make this kind of development actually genuine development, not just perceived development. And so you stroke your ego in a different way, but also to make it sustainable. One of the ways that ties into the podcast we did about answering questions in a sustainable way is thinking mm-hmm. about how to empower and equip not just the person currently sitting in the seat, but anyone who would be sitting in that seat. I think so much of the work that we've done 
in our onboarding process for new team members, in creating structured training for moving into different roles. And we're definitely not done with mm -hmm. any of this. So and the more we it. do, the more we realize how much more there is to do, I think is the constant 100%. theme. But looking back on how much we've done, considering that when you started, there was not an onboarding process for new team mm -hmm. members. There was not a hiring process for new team members. It was, let's meet at Starbucks. You seem all right. I like the cut of your jib. Can you Here's do an it? Here's email with a bunch of tasks. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Get your QBO Pro Advisor cert, and then we can talk. Mm -hmm. like, I think that was like the only qualification. But honestly, it was a huge roadblock to a lot of people. They were, yes. It yeah. was a pretty, for as, for where a crew was at that time, I actually think it was a very, very smart filter because it kept people who were not willing to be tenacious enough to finish the literal first thing that you asked for. They wouldn't ever work here. And that's right. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't. So I, I think it was a good system for where we were at the time, but it was clear that we were getting to a point where more was needed and more was made because we knew that. Well, and because, well, really because I had the wherewithal to know that I needed help and get the right kind of help. So instead of it being a, you know, a meeting at Starbucks, I like the cut of your jib. I mean, we spent half a day mapping out what all you would be responsible for so that there was total clarity in what the role looked like, what would be expected, what was needed, and even the vision of where the company would be going, which this role would be critical in helping us get to. And I think mm -hmm. all the things that we've built have been the kinds of things that have got us to here that we wouldn't have got here without. And we will still keep building things to get us to where we want to go because there's more mm -hmm. to do. But starting with what are the questions I keep asking that are the, or keep answering that are the same question? Yes. How could I stop answering that question? Let's mm -hmm. like, how can I answer this one time? Yeah. So whether it's a Loom video, whether it's a an SOP, whether it's a, a document or infographic or whatever the case is, is there a way that I could stop answering the same questions? That's a mm -hmm. great place to start. I will also say that we started over-engineered and yes. have since, since reduced that. So even in the creation of these resources, we have refined how we do that. So initially it was, I just got to get everything on paper. I need everything in an SOP. I need, I, we need process. And so we made a lot of really like formal process. And what we quickly realized is that no one is going to use that. So how can we make process functional? And so we made adjustments to the things that we were working on so that it was easy and quick to digest so that it was easy to reference. So it's easy to understand. And then there are fewer questions. There's a lot less risk of people just completely missing the mark and not even knowing knowing it, you know? And so even in how you answer these questions, it should evolve. It should be really hard at the beginning and get easier <laughs> because you have to do it from zero to a hundred. And then when you get to a hundred, you realize, well, actually 70s, probably about what people need. There's about 30% of room for, you know, some variants. Like I think mm -hmm. SOPs are a great example. We have standard operating procedure, 
but we have exceptions to all kinds of things. So how can you create the structure and the flexibility for both of those to exist? And I think we've done a decent job of, of unengineering a lot of the over-engineered process and systems that we had, but it starts with getting something and then refining from there. So I, I feel proud of where we've gotten to. When I look back at some of the old things I made, I'm like, Ugh, why would we ever need that? <laughs> well, we probably did need that at, at that time. time. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that that's a really good point of, you know, when we create process, we're at least starting with a, we're all doing this. Mm -hmm. We all have the same understanding of what this is. I think an, another really important thing that we did was clarify our values and, mm. and specifically that our values were behavior based. Because if you want to stop needing to touch everything, one of the values of how we all need to behave so that that is even possible is our you do you values of you do your work well and on time. You know, you take personal responsibility. Like the the having that clarity of, you're not dependent, you're independent, and then you're moving towards being interdependent. You start at, you know, being a cultural fit, and then you move in the direction of being a cultural contributor. I think mm -hmm. all of that kind of, you know, we, we created the process so everyone knows we're rowing in that direction. And then mm -hmm. the behavior values and, and direction that we're heading, it's like, okay, and then, you know, we all pull our weight, and we ask for help when we need it. And here's how we're cool to each other. And here's how we're all aiming at being better. And so I think clarifying, these are the ways in which we behave mm -hmm. so that this is even possible. Because if there's no guiding value of you shouldn't be dependent on everyone, you mm -hmm. shouldn't be someone that just does your work kind of whatever and then chucks it over at the next person and then they have to fix it all. There has to be some kind of expectation that that's the case before we can move in this direction of, of, you know, someone else being less essential or not needing to touch everything. Why would they not need to touch it? Because it's done well. That person needs both the training and equipping, but also the expectation that mm -hmm. it is on you to do it well. It is yeah. on you to become equipped, that it should be a value for you to be equipped. And if yeah. you're not interested in that, this might not be the right fit for you. Yeah. And in line with learning, uh, one of our values is learn from your mistakes. Like we will make them. The assumption that we won't is naive and, and foolish. So when people make mistakes, what is the expectation? And the expectation is that you will own that and that you will learn from it. It's not just that you'll take responsibility and apologize. I actually don't care if you apologize most of the time because it's probably an accident. What I care about is that you do something about it, that you care enough to say something that you're going to be trusting enough to say, hey, this happened. And then when you are, are owning that, that you're also owning fixing it because that's the only way to empower the team. If you never have to fix your mistakes, you will miss out on all the learning and, and you will miss out on the opportunity to grow personally too. I think it's owning mistakes has been one of those things where I feel like I've benefited so much personally from it because it makes me a better partner. It makes me a better friend. It makes me so much better that I can say, hey, this is the part I can own. And even if 
I'm not fully responsible for something, I can look for something I can own. My most uncomfortable situation is when I'm like, ooh, sorry, this one's on you. <laughs> I actually, I looked, I've looked really hard for something I can own and I don't think it's me. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I'm like, oh, I wish I could find something I could own. That would be way less awkward than whatever this is. Than what feels yeah. like pointing a finger. But I think that like switching that to I want to own as much as I can. And it takes two people for this to happen. It takes someone wanting to be equipped and it takes us doing the things that equip people. It's both sides. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. And if you don't allow people to own their mistakes and they don't actually own their work either, they right. don't own the results of their efforts. If you don't take ownership of when you get it wrong, you shouldn't get credit for when you do it right. You know, it's it's both sides of that. We tend to want to get all the praise when we do it well and to abdicate any responsibility when we do it poorly. And that's not really owning the results of what you are working on. And so I think oh, equipping people to own mistakes and expecting people to own mistakes are so I, I think actually that's that's the theme of all of this equipping and expecting mm. that we want you to have all of the support that you need. You, you need training, you need clear expectations, you need process, you need, you know, you whatever need know other what things when you need help. Yes. You need a support structure for when it's beyond your own capability. You need to know where to go, who to go to when something goes wrong and how you can get the support you need to fix it. You also need to be expected to do that. You need to be held accountable for doing it. And I think it's very easy to swing one way or the other on that side as well. We swing one way or the other in empowering and equipping, but I think we also swing one way or the other in holding people accountable that, no, I was clear and you were equipped and you're not meeting the bar. Mm -hmm. And, and that's an easy one to also want to go, oh, well, they're not meeting the bar, but maybe I wasn't that clear about how I set the bar, or maybe they didn't understand where the bar was. And, and I think we tend to do that a lot. We always mm -hmm. want to look for where we did it wrong because mm -hmm. maybe it was us, mm -hmm. but also this is the expectation and this is what you need to meet. And this is what doing excellent work looks like. And we're going to hold you to that yeah. means that the work that you do matters. Because if there's no expectation, if there's no bar to hit, then what's the point of trying hard? What's yeah. the point of aiming at excellence if mediocrity is perfectly acceptable? So mm -hmm. if we don't both equip and empower and then also set expectations and hold people to them, then all of this is meaningless and you'll go right back to touching everything. It's just, yeah. it all circles back to where you just touch everything again. Yeah. Well, and I think the essential part in that is this is my part and this is your part. It is my job to create clarity around expectations. This is what done looks like. This is what winning looks like. This is how you know you did your part. I am responsible for making sure that everyone on our team has absolute clarity about what done means and, and when they've done their part. And it's my responsibility to give feedback so that they're equipped and have the tools and resources to get there. That's my part they have to get there. I cannot control where someone's time goes, where someone's effort goes. If you choose to spend your morning doing the work you love, and by the time it's afternoon and it's the work you hate and you just do it poorly because your brain is or tired. Or not at all. 
that's on you, man. Like I can't control that. So I think knowing what's my responsibility and what's someone else's responsibility is a huge part of that. So that when we're holding people accountable, we can say, here's what I'm responsible for. This was clear. Here it is in writing. And this was the feedback you got. What are you going to do with that feedback? I think is really the the thing that allows for this to be a partnership instead of adversarial. Yes. And I think that the clarity of our of the direction that we're heading, the clarity of the way that we all behave, mm-hmm. the clarity of you know, we're here and we're for you, but there is a your part and there is an our part. I think all of that being super, being implicit and explicit, being clearly mm-hmm. communicated and being lived out in in the everyday means that the team members who are a, a fit for that, who buy into this vision of being empowered, being allowed to, you know, try things and and not expected that they'll never fail, but expected that they will be aiming at excellence and they will own when they don't hit that mark and that they will shift what they need to so that they can keep aiming in that direction. They will thrive here. And when Mm. there are team members that are struggling in that and we're being clear and we're being kind and we're setting the bar and we are providing an environment in which they have every opportunity to succeed and then that's not what's happening, then it becomes really clear and it's it, it's never fun. It's never pleasant, no. but it becomes much, much easier to have a conversation about maybe this isn't the fit because this mm-hmm. is, everyone knows what we're doing here. Everyone is aiming in this direction. If you're aiming somewhere else, then this might be your port of call. Mm-hmm. But I think that that does creating and fostering that environment where you then don't need to touch everything because you have aimed in the direction of an equipped and empowered team, not just that the people currently here today are equipped and empowered, but that you have started to build systems and structures that will empower and equip people that don't work here yet. Because mm-hmm. you're creating, you know, a process of onboarding where everyone hears the same things. Everyone yeah. gets the same training. Everyone has the same understanding of expectation. You're doing things like building an information station and FAQs and the kinds of things that answer those questions. So everyone hears the same thing. I think when you're aiming in that direction, it does become possible to stop needing to touch everything. But it does start with you. It has yeah. to. This is much like vulnerability because so much of this is about vulnerability. That leader has to go first. You have to start with, why do I feel the need to touch everything? And what needs to be different? What needs to be different in how I feel and what I do with how I feel? And then what mm-hmm. needs to be different in reality so that I feel that way less? You know, because sometimes you feel like you need to touch everything because you do, because Mm -hmm. there's no system or structure or process apart from you touching everything. So Mm -hmm. that feeling might be real because you do, but 
as you start to shift in this way, you will have to also confront the fact that you'll probably still feel that way even after it becomes less true. And so how you behave and, and respond to those feelings and, and deal with that will need to be a part of making this a meaningful, sustainable shift. There are habits you've built. There are tendencies you've built. There are things you probably do without even thinking about it. So ensuring that you're casting this kind of vision publicly so that other people will hold you accountable as you hold them accountable as well. Like it can't just be this top down, everyone else do this thing and then I'm just going to do whatever I do. It starting with that kind of vulnerability, like now you're responsible for showing up in that way and doing your part in, in the shift that needs to happen. And also you will still need to touch some things even as you move in this direction, there will be things you still contribute to, things that you still need to touch. Think you get to decide that. Mm. Maybe there's things you still own because that's the work you love and brings you joy and energy. The goal of this is not that you're so non-essential that it'd really be better if you just left. Like hopefully yeah. you're still no. here. You're still where you are on purpose. But you can create a firm where the bulk of the work that you're doing is what brings you joy and energy. You have a team that is equipped and empowered in doing work that brings them joy and energy. And you don't actually need to touch everything. You get to choose the things that you touch. But it's just going to start with you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We hope you will keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building going to be good.